So, Daniel, have you figured out how to use proxies yet? I have not figured out how to use proxies, and I am just dreading the whole thing so much because I have 60 gigs free on my laptop right now, (laughs) and and I'm going to have to clear so much space off to even start working on this project. I've got 600 gigs of footage. It's not all going to fit, and I just don't know how it's going to work. So Apple announced the new M2 iPad Pros, and they have the M1s, and those... The M2 and the M1 have the unified memory, and they have swap enabled because of the system on a chip. And because they have swap, you can now do more things that are beyond the RAM limitation of, of iOS. Right. Which includes this new version of DaVinci Resolve that can run on the iPad. That is so cool. And it has the and DaVinci has a cut and an edit and a color tab. And in the, I guess it's one, and then like exports, so you have like four tabs on the bottom or five. I am definitely showing how much I don't use DaVinci Resolve except for to do color. Uh, but the iPad version only has the cut and the color because the thought is like, if you're on the iPad, maybe you're just going to cut everything up. You're not going to be adding all your transitions and doing the editing and the sound. Maybe sound's one of the tabs. Anyway, you can on your iPad, do the color on your color accurate, you know, high definition screen. Sure. And you can do your cutting. And one of the other things that Resolve does, which I don't know why Final Cut doesn't do this yet, it's like, <sighs> anyway, Resolve has, like, you can upload all of your, your proxy footage to, like, Dropbox, and then you can open up your library and point it to Dropbox and edit your footage from anywhere with the proxies. And then whenever you're done with it, you can go back to your main edit machine and then export with the final original versions. And so, like... You still have to figure out a proxy workflow. And I don't know how good the proxy workflow is in Final Cut compared to DaVinci because every time I would use the proxy workflow in Final Cut, it felt like I had to have all the original footage on my computer. And then on top of that, I had to make proxies. So you have to have even more space available, which is kind of the annoying thing because like, what are you going to, if you have 600 gigs of 600 gigs of footage, like where are all the render files going to go? Yeah, that's a problem. But if you had an M2 iPad Pro, you could just like, you know, make proxies and then uh, you do DaVinci from like a different computer and you wouldn't have to worry about it. I mean, that, it's a pretty tempting idea. That's that's what I've been wanting to see Apple do with Final Cut Pro for a long time. And I think it's really embarrassing for them that DaVinci Resolve beat their own product to the punch. Yeah, it, It's super weird. And I mean, the way you described it, where the things that you're doing on the iPad are cut and coloring makes so much sense like that's that's how i would want to use it Mm -hmm. i'm fine with using the laptop to do precise type things but i would love to be at a coffee shop sitting on my couch whatever and be able to cut all the stuff or you know just kind of casually work with the footage that that sounds great i haven't used resolve to do a full edit i've only done like the round trip and the color grading and that sort of thing resolve but from what i can tell it doesn't seem to make these enormous render files that final cut does where you have this like you know 500 gigs of like rendered footage just sitting there on your hard drive and you have to have like all this space in order to do a project i've had projects where i had you know 500 600 gigs free on my laptop and i try to make a multi-cam of two two or three really large clips like they're each 13 gigs and i try to make a multi-cam and it goes oh sorry you don't have enough space on your hard drive to optimize 
these three clips together and into a multicam. And I'm like, I have hundreds of gigs free and I don't have space to optimize these clips. And I just wonder if Resolve is better at that because they seem to be moving a lot faster forward than Final Cut right now. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I don't know how I'm going to deal with it in Final Cut. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to hear that Resolve does better. I, I don't know if... Maybe. I don't know if that... I don't want to learn a new editing tool for this project. No, definitely not. But I'm I'm curious to see how it goes. And uh, you know, I've thought through some ideas with using an external SSD. I'm probably going to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even with all those tricks, I think it's going to be pretty hard to figure out a good, I don't, a good I, approach. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what you figure out because it's a lot of footage and you need a lot of space. Yeah, it just seems to me like Resolve is moving so quickly forward and doing so many cool things with like the ability to collaborate and the color grading and i just i'm like what is what is apple doing they used to have a really competitive editing software and i still think that final cut is fantastic and it is my preferred tool but i just i feel like i'm seeing writing on the wall and like apple needs to i don't know step up their editing software game or you know davinci's gonna take their place yeah I agree. It's going to be interesting to see. And I mean, I hope that it lights a fire under Apple. I mean, yeah. the fact that DaVinci's on the iPad, maybe Apple will release Final Cut for the iPad. I'd, I'd really like to see that. I mean, the main selling point for Apple has always been performance, right? Like you could you know, load in all these high quality clips and they just, they would run where Premiere couldn't do it. But I feel like that gap's also closed significantly. Yeah. Even Premiere has gotten better uh, with that. I think, you know, as, as some of these other companies have started optimizing for the mm-hmm. M chips, it, it's... It's interesting. I don't think it's clear cut, you know, which one's better. Yeah. Ugh. I just, I think about the products that we work on together and how easy it would be if we had proxies in the cloud and you could just like do the edit and I could be in the same project or come in right behind you and just like do the grade. And it would, we don't have to like exchange libraries. We don't have to like sneaker mail, you know, a thousand gigs of footage and rendered files or whatever. Right. And it's like, it's just, it's such a mess right now from Apple. Yeah. Maybe we need to look into Resolve more. I just I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't, I, just, I don't want to learn another, yeah, another I suite. I agree. <sighs> but you could be like every other YouTuber and make a video about how you <gasps> used Resolve for 30 days. Oh I switched to DaVinci Resolve. Yep. Here's why I'm not going back. <laughs> See, you got the title already. I'm not. I just... I don't know. Like I've, I've watched so many videos of YouTubers who are like, I'm a premiere person and I'm, I've tried Final Cut for a week and here's what I think. And you watch them use it and you're like, you're using Final Cut like a premiere user and you just can't. Like exactly. you, have to, you have to give into the magnetic timeline and use Final Cut like a Final Cut editor in order to see the true benefit of it. And it's a completely different process of working and thinking about your footage and editing it. And you have to completely approach it from a different place and if you were using Premiere and watching Premiere editors use Final Cut is painful. Yeah. And so you wonder, like, with Resolve, would it be similar? Yeah. I, that's what I worry about. It's like I would try to go and use Resolve. And yes, I used Premiere, whatever, almost a decade ago. And so I don't most, I don't totally remember all the Premiere stuff. And I'd wonder if I would try to be like, well, where's my, where's my, like, snap to whatever and blah, blah, blah. And I would try to use Resolve like Final Cut. And it yeah. would just, it would break me. Maybe so. Yeah. <sighs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. Uh, 
I wanted to do a rumor roundup because talking about rumors is fantastic and one of my favorite things. Now, Lucas, we can't talk about Fuji cameras the whole time. But, Daniel, Fuji cameras. <laughs> All right, Speaking. May- maybe we can talk about Fuji cameras a little bit. Okay, we so can't only com- talk about Fuji so cameras. So coming up is X-T5. Yeah. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> okay. November 2nd is the rumored release date of the X-T5. We had the X-H2S. 26 megapixels. Now we have the... Is that right? It's 26.2? That sounds right. Do I not yeah. know the I think that I think that's right. I, sorry, I'm having an identity Are you crisis. counting them right I'm now? I'm having an identity you counting the megapixels? Right. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> I just... Uh, who, who am I if I don't know how many megapixels my camera has? The X-H2 came out. 40 megapixels. Yes, it did. X-T5. Also... Probably 40 megapixels. That's surprising. I mean, it is, but it also isn't. Fuji, with the X-Trans 4 sensor that came out on the X-T3, they put it in They put it in like six or seven cameras. And like, that was their thing. The With the new X-T5, the question was like, okay, now they have two sensors. Fuji's never managed two sensors at the same time. What are they going to do? And so are they going to put the X-H2S stack sensor in there? Probably not because it's too expensive. So what are they going to do? Put in the new 40. But the rumors say that it isn't going to do 8K, which is, I haven't seen Fuji do that, you know, software discrepancy type, you know, split in their line before. They usually only do it whenever it's like, it's a hardware limitation. Right, right. And so like you had your X-T30 couldn't do some of the higher frame rate recording things of the X-T3, but it was probably because of the size and the heat. And right now the X-T5 is rumored to be smaller than the X-T4. And so we're thinking oh, that, yeah, Small, not smaller than the X-H2, smaller than the X-T4. Right. Okay. So it's going to be the same body style. You're going to have all your sweet, sweet knobs and it's going to have very similar buttons. It's going to have the movie still switch and all that stuff that the X-T4 has. But the rumor is that it's going to be more, maybe more like an X-T3 size or an X-T2 size. Okay. And with that smaller size comes less heat dissipation ability. And I think that that's the reason why the rumors are it's not going to be able to shoot 8K. Okay. And I really love, I really love using my X-T3 for photo. A lot of that is the smaller size. A lot of it's the knobs, the form factor. And a lot of it is the the tilty, fl- the tilty screen instead of the flippy screen. If I know that I'm not going to turn that camera around to point it at the most important person in the room. And I'm just, you know, taking pictures of whatever. Like, then, other, like other people. Yeah, like other people. Family, friends. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Less, less important individuals. Uh, the, the, the three-way tilt screen is better, in my opinion. It's because like you don't have the thing off to the side, and it's it's I don't know. I if I'm just taking pictures, I want the three way tilt screen. If I'm going to do pictures and video, I want the flippy screen. I mostly agree, but at the same time, I really like that I can close the screen. That's that's a nice thing about the full flip. I ever since getting the XH2S with the flippy screen, I keep closing the screen and not turning off the camera. And I cannot, I cannot. It's like it's like it's your laptop. You think it goes to sleep and you close. I just I'm like floop and done. And then like three hours later, because I've turned off auto power off because it always freaking ruins everything. And then I'm like, oh look at that! I'm down to one bar of battery because I forgot to turn off the camera again. <laughs> I just <sighs> anyway, I just I need to I need to like remember to just turn the switch yeah. and get that muscle memory in place. But for you, a photo camera is better if it has a tilting screen rather than a flip screen. Yeah, like if I'm using it for photo stuff and it feels like the, you know, maybe Fuji is finally letting themselves let the XT be a photo camera because now they have the X-H2 and the X-H2S to be their video-centric top-of-line cameras. They can let the XT 
Series B, their photo camera. And so the X-T5 is rumored to have the three-way tilt screen okay, and not a flippy screen. And so we're looking at something that's more like an X-T3, but with a 40 megapixel sensor. It's pretty compelling. Is there a rumor yet on the price? Yeah, 1,700 smackaroonies. That's that's pretty affordable. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised by that because the X-H2 is 2,000. Mm-hmm. And that that even to me felt like a good price for that camera. Yep. And so now they're undercutting it by another three hundred dollars. So less features, right? Doesn't do the eight K. I'm sure it will also be limited in other ways. I imagine that it. I don't know. So the XT4 could shoot two forty frames per second. I don't see why they would cut that from this, but maybe they do. Maybe it doesn't shoot two forty, or you know, maybe it could it could you know have less features in certain other things. But I think like. What we're going to see is something that's basically an X-H2, but with a different form factor and anything that it couldn't do for heat reasons, it's going to cut out of the camera. Yeah. I would be surprised to see that from any manufacturer other than Fuji mm-hmm. because it feels like it's going to directly compete with their other products. But yeah. that's kind of been Fuji's thing. They make all these cameras that have the same sensor and the same basic capabilities and you get to pick based on your form factor. Right, exactly. And that's maybe that's what they want, right? Is like, do you, are you going to, you can go buy an X-H2 if you're a PSAM bro. And PSAM you can, bro. Mm-hmm, and you can buy an X-T5. If you're into like the dials and the knobs. Yeah. It's cool to have those options. I mean, it's, that's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. If I was think considering like what my ideal Fuji setup would be, I mean, I guess it would just be like two XH2Ss. But if I'm trying to compare an XH2S, which is like my main video rig with something that I have for like travel and for photo, and I want to be able to share the lenses and I don't want necessarily the cameras to serve the exact same function because I want more versatility. I could see an X-T5 being my preferred pairing with an X-H2S over pairing an X-H2 with an X-H2S. I, th- I think I agree. I mean, at the very least, you're getting something that's a little different, mm-hmm. which is maybe good or bad. I mean, the nice thing about having two very similar cameras is you get all the same muscle memory, you pick it up, and it's exactly the same. But, I mean, I do think there are some advantages to the, as hard as this is to admit, I do think there are some advantages to the dial approach. Mm-hmm. I, I hear what you're saying about the tilt screen. And so it's nice that the X-T5 gives you something different than what you get with the X-H2 or the X-H2S. It may be surprising to you, but Fuji's fan base is kind of vocal about their their retro cameras and their looks and their styles and their knobs. And they're maybe a little opinionated about their screens. Yeah, I, I could maybe see that being the case. And so it seems like a lot of time, the, at least the people who complain about stuff on the internet are so single focused and they're like, well, the latest ver- latest camera came out. This is the only camera this company makes. And it's like, no, they make a bunch of different ones for a bunch of different people. And Fuji has a market for the X-T5 that is not served by the X-H2S or the X-H2. And they need, they need this retro styled with the dials flagship camera to serve that market. And I think that the people who want that, who want the photocentric, small, retro style, street photography, you know, their base, this X-T5 is going to be the perfect camera for them. And I think they're going to sell a ton of them. And you and you said it's supposed to be announced on November 2nd? November 2nd. The X-H, geez, the X-T3 and the X-T3 came out at roughly the same price. It was seventeen dollars or $1,800. And I think the X-T4 was the same price as well. So this is in line with their pricing for these yeah, cameras. So that probably is what the price will be. Yep. It's been a big year for Fuji. I know. Three cameras in three, 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 three cameras in one year. It is their 10 year anniversary of X Mount. 
and and three very competitive cameras. Yeah, for for sure. And the, talking about competition, I mean, what does this compete against? That's a good question. Um, what does it compete against? I mean, you have the, there's there's got to be some good Sony and Canon options. So what are those? Well, for Sony, I mean, you're not going to buy any of the 6000 series right now, or at least unless you just really need a, a small Sony camera, because then the latest A6400 came out over three years ago. And I would even argue that's not that's not really competition for this camera. No, absolutely not. It's at a lower price bracket. And I think that an A6400, A6600 is almost the same price. No, sure I'm I, getting that mixed up. I'm I thought they were like a thousand dollars. Okay, yeah, you're right. Okay, so different price bracket. So maybe it's an A7C. A, A7C is what I was. But thinking an A7C of. is like two years old. The rolling, the rolling shutter doesn't compete. It's full frame, and but and it has the same megapixels. But it's, I mean, this new 40 megapixel sensor. It's going to be twice the resolution. The XT5 is just probably going to be a better camera, and that's the same price. And so you do you buy this two year old full frame because you really have to have full frame or maybe an xt5 is better what about the a7 IV? the a7 IV is 2400 yeah i guess 17 17 versus 2400 is a, that's yeah. a big difference mm-hmm. so i think that i think the a7 IV is priced out that the competition for the a7 IV is the xh line right okay. uh, so from canon or f- let's talk about nikon i guess give them a second right well, wait the- nikon exists <laughs> it still exists dang it <laughs> The Z6 Mark II, I think, is maybe 2000 bucks, maybe a little more. So that's almost competitive with it, but not really. There's the Z50, but that's getting a little long in the tooth. That's more of a competitor to the X-T4, and that one's cheaper. You have Canon's crop sensor line. You have the R7, which is $1,500, so $200 cheaper. It doesn't have all the exact same features, but it does have Canon colors. It does have more, no, not more anymore. More, 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 more. It's 30 megapixels. Okay. So, That's not a whole lot. So less megapixels, but it's pushed into the 30. I think that's probably the biggest competition because you could argue that you have the dual pixel, whatever. The X-T5 is a photo camera first, not a video camera, even though it's probably going to have incredible video specs, much better than the EOS R7. But if you're not looking for video specs... Then the R7 gives you the flippy screen, gives you Canon colors, it gives you dual pixel autofocus, and it's 30 megapixels and it's $1,500. So like maybe that's the biggest argument against it. Yeah, maybe so. But I mean, it, it is a, we talked about this the other week with uh, FX30, that that 17, you know, let's say between 1500 and 2000 price bracket, there's just not a lot of cameras in that mm-hmm. bracket. Speaking of the X-T30 or FX30, which is basically the same price point. That one is less megapixels, less resolution, but probably shoots. It's going to shoot at more crops than the XT5. The XT5 will give you the full sensor readout at 4K24, most likely. Ren is going to be oversampled 4K24, so it's going to look really good, versus the FX30, which is going to crop at 1.1. And don't forget that the FX30 can't take photos. Yeah. So, like, the X-T5 may be the better choice over an X-T30 for some people, but also it's going to be a photo camera, not a video camera. So, like, maybe that's the split if you're looking for a pure, you know, dedicated video camera. The FX30 is the winner. Yeah. I mean, when I was buying my X-H2S, I don't think I would have chosen the X-T5 over it because I my primary use is probably video, but I wanted to be able to do both really well. And I mean, I feel like I I wanted something that leaned video in a way mm-hmm. that I don't think the X-T5 is going to. Yeah. But it seems like a really good camera. 
Yeah, it's going to be a really nice, I bought this to travel with, I bought this for street photography and for photos, but if I need to use it as a B-cam to my X-H2S, it's going to pair really nicely and it's going to work really well. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really cool one. Um, it's think it's going to fit really nice into their lineup. Uh, speaking of, you know, it's you know biggest competitor, the EOS R7. We've got some Canon rumors also. All right, let's hear them. So we got the EOS R6 Mark II. So the original R6 came out, I want to say a year, a year or two ago, two years ago. Yeah, 2020, July 2020. That's right, because I I bought it. I bought my EOS R right after that was announced. Right. Okay. So it's been out for a little over two years. That's about the right time for a Mark II. Yeah. So they're coming out with a Mark II. It is a 24 megapixel sensor instead of a 20. So it's a different sensor with a megapixel bump. Megapixel bump. Yep. Got them big, big, more bigger pickles. Actually, they're smaller technically because it's a same size sensor. Full frame. As far as the features that are the same, I mean, it's a, it's a Mark II. And so it's just kind of a continuation of, right? And I mean, it has the same, you know, 12 frames per second mechanical shutter. It's got the same embodied. It's probably an improved in body stabilization, but it's going to have IBIS. The R6 had IBIS. The still the same, you know, video ability features, right? You know, 4K 30, 4K 60. It is going to crop on 4K 60, but the R6 cropped at 1.1 already. So I'm expecting it to be basically the same thing. It's all, it's all just kind of the same. It's going to have the same-ish body. It's going to have maybe the more improved dual pixel autofocus. It's going to have, you know, dual card slots. Uh, doesn't look like it's going to be ECF Express. It'll just be, you know, SD and, you know, SDHC type slots. But it seems like it's just going to be an R6 with a new sensor. I'm kind of having a hard time getting excited about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a bump, right? It's been two years. They're going to take all of the improvements that they've put out in the latest R series, like maybe some of the profiles from, uh, from the EOS R3 and maybe they'll, maybe they'll roll it down the line. We kind of have to see what they announce, but so far the rumors just seem like it's an iterative improvement on top of what was already a good camera. Well, I guess that makes sense with it being a Mark II rather than a new model. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, it feels like they have more, more models than, than fingers these days. Yeah. Because yeah, they're getting kind of crazy with that. Yeah. Cause like they are still selling the RP and the R. Oh really? Those, I, they, they still sell those new? Yeah. I mean, I haven't okay. seen anything that says they're discontinued and you can buy them new from B and H. Yeah. Well, the RP is, is definitely in its own price right. category. So I understand that, but I am a little surprised they're still selling the R. Right. But it's so like ignoring the RP, you have the, the R, the R7, the R6, the R10, the R5 and the R3. That's that's a lot. Yeah, and there's rumor of like an R1 eventually coming out to replace the EOS DM or one one DX. Yep, that one. Sure, yeah, that one. You know, like the big boy, right? The big boy. Mm-hmm. And like that hasn't that hasn't come out yet. And there's also now a rumor for an R8. Okay, so what's the R8? The R8 is supposed to be the direct replacement for the EOS R. So they'll discontinue the R and then they'll have the R8. Interesting. But it's confusing. Because usually as you go up in number, you go down in price and down in feature set. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Yeah, the R10 is cheaper, you know, $1,300 and the R7. And the R7 is cheaper than the R6. Right. And the R7 and the R10 are APS-C. The rumor for the R8 is that it's going to be full frame. And so they're trying to, they're sliding a full frame camera in between the 7 and the 10. And I don't understand the naming convention. Well, and what's the price of this thing going to be? It's... It hasn't really been released, but I mean, obviously this is all just rumor and speculation at this point, but 
you know, we're kind of guessing that it's going to be maybe 1700 to 2200 if it's an EOSR replacement. So it's also going to be more expensive than the R7? Maybe. Like, it, that's just a guess, right? It's If it's replacing the R, where does the R sit in their lineup? And you have the EOS R5, which is, you know, like a $4,500 camera, $4,000 camera. Then you have the R6, which comes in at $2,500. Then you have the R7, which is down at $1,500. So they don't have anything in that XH2 price bracket of like $1,800 to $2,200. They just didn't leave themselves enough numbers. They need need an R6.5. I mean, like, why? I don't know. I guess like the 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 EOS 7D was such a you know, landmark camera, right? They had the, the, the 70 series. And if you couldn't afford full frame, that was the one you got. And so like they needed to use the seven for their APS-C line or else maybe they'd get confused. I just, it's, but like, it's gotta be something like that. It's just really strange. I don't know. And then like, they don't, they've never really had like a four. There was never a, you know, a 4D. So maybe because it sounds like 40, well, it's also 50. Anyways. Or maybe it's like it takes it takes pictures in the time domain, you know, the Canon 4D. <laughs> maybe. So, ignoring the name, if it's a replacement for the EOS R, then it should be between $1,700 and $2,200, which is going to make it a really interesting competitor to the A7 IV. Well, and to the X-T5. And to the X-T5 and to the X-H2. Yeah. And I think that, you know, if it's a pretty decent camera, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard sell over any Sony or Nikon option or Fuji option for that matter because it's full frame mm-hmm. if it comes in at that price point. And people love Canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Canon makes great stuff. And the rumor here is that it's going to have, it's going to have IBIS. It's going to be able to do 4K30, 4K60 cropped. So similar video specs to the EOS R6 as far as, you know, what the rumors say. 30 megapixels, so more megapixels than the R6, uh, which matches the the EOS R now, right? The R has a 30.1 or 30.2 or something. And then it's also rumored to have CF Express SD dual card slots. And that's a weird one because yeah. why are they going to put CF Express on it if they don't need CF Express? Yeah, nobody's buying a $400 card for fun, so there's got to be a reason to have that in yeah, there. Yeah, like the XH2S and the XH2 have CF Express because they can shoot ProRes and they can shoot, you know, 40 frames per second in photo. Well, the X-H2S can, the X-H2 can. And so, like, if you're doing really high rate video or really high rate burst, then you need it. And I didn't see anything about this coming with, like, a stacked full frame sensor. I mean, that would be that would be really expensive. Yeah, there's no way so that's fitting in a 17 to So it's not going to be price. stacked, which means, and it's going to be full frame, which means that it's probably not going to do more than... 12 to 18 frames per second photo right it's just going to cap out because of the read speed and the jello right and so maybe it's video spec and maybe it's going to be able to shoot some really cool like i don't know 4k oversampled all intra whatever well they did that on the eosr right like Mm -hmm. you could get a 400 megabit codec on the eosr which was really nice and then people could do amazing things with that footage so maybe it is just really high quality video maybe sure. not necessarily high frame rate or anything but and at, but at that price point like i doubt we're going to see any sort of like pro res internal well, or any sort of raw internal especially from canon because they're they they seem very conscious of not cannibalizing their cinema lines right exactly they want to still sell plenty of you know c70s and that sort of thing r5c all, yeah all that stuff. yeah and like in the r5c shoots raw internal and i think the r3 can 
do it, but the R6 can't. And if this comes slotting in under the R6, like, why is it going to be able to shoot raw? So it just, it doesn't make sense. The R6 rumors are saying that this, the, that camera is only going to have SD card slots. And then the R8 rumors are saying this camera is going to have CF Express slots. But like, why is it going to have it if it doesn't need it? Yeah. And I mean, and it's we, a cheaper camera. We have to acknowledge it's, it's possible that that's not true. You yeah. know, so, sometimes people see a part and they assume it's for one camera and it's for a different camera. So we just really don't know. Yeah. So it's really like me poking holes in this rumor more than anything is the CF Express thing doesn't make sense. The name doesn't make sense. The positioning in the line doesn't make sense. And so I don't, I'm also kind of wondering like maybe this Phantom R8 camera is just the R6. Like why wouldn't the R6 replace the USR? Yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, to me, the most, the most believable part of it is that Canon would release a camera in that price bracket. Cause I think that it's, ripe for disruption i guess like absolutely we were just talking about the xt5 and it seems like there's not really much competition so it seems like it would make sense for canon to release something that competes there and that part rings true but a lot of the rest Mm -hmm. of this just seems strange that i know the like inflation blah 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 but that 1500 to 2000 price point is a really good target for a lot of people who are into photography but don't want to, you know, spend an arm and a leg. You have a lot of people who are like, I'm just going to spend my thousand dollars. I want a camera and a lens. I'm going to spend a thousand dollars, and that's it. So you got those people served, and then you have the most of your people who are going to buy, you know, fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollar cameras. And in that fifteen hundred to two thousand dollar price bracket, there isn't really a full frame option right now that isn't three years old yeah like you have the a7c and you have you know last generation cameras but the eos r is more expensive the xh2s is more expensive um the a74 is 2500 it's like and i know i listed an uh, APS-C camera in there but i just can't help myself uh-huh. it's fuji yeah but point is like i don't know what you would buy if you had a, a two thousand dollar budget and you wanted a full frame camera i think that's a good point and that, like I said, that's the biggest reason I could see a, them releasing a camera in that bracket. Mm-hmm. I just, the rest of it doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't. So maybe maybe what we'll see is like, hey, here's an EOS R6 Mark II, and it's it's both of these cameras into one. But I'd, I'm curious to see it. I don't have a date for like when they're potentially going to announce anything. Yeah, like I was going to ask, with any of these Canon rumors, do you have any, any No, dates? I mean, a lot of it's talked about like this year. So well, maybe, it's not, not much time left. Right. So maybe we'll see something announced for the holiday season. Okay. I I don't know. It would be cool to see something come out. I really like what, what Canon does. I like their stuff. And, you know, having having a full frame camera from Canon in that in that price bracket to replace what the EOS R was, which is four or five years old now, pro- probably needed. It, yeah. It probably doesn't need to happen. I mean, we talked about the EOS R a few weeks ago and it's it's still a good camera and it fits into a good a good price bracket and yeah, I mean, I, I think they need to replace it with something. So one more for you, and we're going to talk about this one on the heels of the announcement. So we may be a little late on you know some of the information. You know, we might be incorrect on some of it, but well, we're talking about it. You and I are recording this before the announcement, so right. people are going to be able to see whether we're right or not. I guess. I guess so, and I'm just kind of going off what I'm reading. Right, I don't have any other sources here, but this is obviously the Sony A7R5, and Sony seems. One, they're they're out of syncness with their their numbers is so annoying. It's like here's the A7R5, and it's you know the, the sibling cameras are like the A7 four and the A7S three. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes it very hard to look at their lineup and reason about which ones are similar. 
But also, like, I wouldn't want them to like skip numbers. That would be that, that would, would be also worse. be annoying. That would so, be worse, like, probably. Whatever. But they always come out with the high resolution line first whenever they're pushing out their new series. And this is the direct replacement for the A7R4, which is their high resolution consumer photo photo camera. I mean, people use these for use these things for weddings all the time, right? So that it is a professional camera yeah. for professional shoots. But it's their high resolution, not their Alpha One line, not their A9 line, but their high resolution seven series line full frame camera. And it's for photo, not necessarily for video. Yeah, although you can do both with them. Yeah, absolutely. Sure can. But, you know, with the more megapixels you have, the more, you know, processors you need to read and full frame sensors are huge. And so you have risk like more rolling shutter on a camera like this versus something like an A7 IV. Yeah. Which also has pretty yucky rolling shutter. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I didn't see anything about it being stacked which, you know, right now still, you know, Sony Sony rules the sensor game. They make all the sensors for everybody. So if we're going to see an innovation in a sensor from them, you know, as far as like a stack sensor this big, with this many megapixels, it's going to be in this camera. Right. Did you say how many megapixels it was? No, I didn't. 61 megapixels. Jeez, that's a lot. Yeah, they're really pushing it, right? I mean, it was pretty impressive what they did with the sensor that's in the new Fuji cameras, that 40 megapixel uh-huh. on APS-C. So seeing 61 from them in this one is pretty cool. What does Fuji hit in the GFX series? 102 megapixels. And okay, that's medium so they're format. There they're not there yet, but they're 61's a lot. 61 is a lot. And if if when full frame eventually is pushing a hundred megapixels, that's gonna be that's gonna be like writing on the wall for for medium format. Right. Because the high resolution for medium format is most of the reason why people shoot in it. I mean, also like the field of view and like the weight, anyways, whatever. Sure. So sixty-one, like that's that's great. That is, I mean, you can you probably you're gonna be able to print you know thirty-inch thirty-inch photos on that easily, and it's it's gonna look great. So we're looking at definitely you know backside illuminated, and you know they'll probably stick a new processor in it. They're supposed to have significantly improved autofocus, which for Sony, like, yeah, that's saying something. They're leading the game, and now they're just gonna like further further push it. Right, it's gonna have like almost 700 phase detect points oh wow which is it's so many and like the for for reference the fuji ones are like 400 something and i don't know how i think canon's also around 400 uh but i don't actually know that number off the top of my head so almost 700 autofocus points wow uh it's supposed to be able to shoot 8k which for you know those who are counting in the audience you, know, you have to be over 40 megapixels in order to shoot 8k just for pure resolution reasons. So we're looking at potentially 8K24 uncropped, which means that it's oversampled because if your 8K is 40, 42 megapixels and you're on a 61 megapixel sensor and it's uncropped, that means you're going to get oversampled for 8K, which is going to look really good. Is that true? Yeah. Or is what I, true? I guess, I guess so because I, I was trying to think of how the oversampling works. And, you know, you could do like line skipping. Is that yeah, still count as oversampling? Guess, no, that does not count as oversampling. So that's, ugh, I guess that's true. They could, in theory, line skip and then have a full sensor readout of 8K. But it's basically uncropped, right? So yeah, you can either, if you're uncropping, you can either read every line and line skip it, or you can oversample it. I'm just curious to see if their processor can handle that. I mean, it's supposed to be this new Bion Z XR processor. Oh, well, yeah, the Bion <laughs> Z, obviously. Why, why didn't I think of that? Well, because I didn't tell you. Oh, okay. I guess that's well, that's a wait and see. Okay. You're right. I'm wrong. 
But if it is oversampled, 8K, that would be... That would be impressive. It would be impressive. I mean, I don't I don't think anyone's doing that right now. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the R3 does it. Uh, we're looking at, you know, 4K60, 4K24, whatever. Uh, they looks like they're going to be stealing the heat sink out of the A7S3. Uh, I don't think it's going to have a fan. The A7S3 doesn't have a fan. It's just their FX lines that have those. But, you know, better better heat dissipation, ideally. And, you know, we're looking at all the new, you know, S-Cinetones that are currently currently pushed in the uh, you know the a7 4 line the a7s3 and and their fx lines and yeah i mean it's just a lot of other things right you know better buffer more stops of ibis ibis and yeah it's just gonna be a it's gonna be a good photo camera i think the current a7 r4 doesn't have a flippy screen so we're looking at a fully articulating flippy screen for this one and i mean it's just gonna be a really good all-rounder can use it for video to mix in with the other stuff but the 61 megapixel stills is going to be the main selling point of this camera. Yeah, but the screen maybe is a downside. I mean, we were talking earlier, and you said you think the tilt screen is better for photos. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I mean, it's not a big deal, but... I feel like most most Sony users are expecting that flippy screen, and most Sony cameras have the flippy screen. That's true. And, like, it has... It's going to have a lot of the really good video features that Sony's known for, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I keep thinking about the, the autofocus and what that's going to mean and what that would make that camera good for. I mean, I think one obvious use of it is going to be like sports type photography. Oh, for sure. Especially if they have a larger buffer and if the autofocus is good. And I think right now that's mostly like the alpha one or the a nine. Well, a nine. Yeah. So with your, with your sports photography, I mean, autofocus is a big one, but you know, a lot of your pro guys are maybe doing zone autofocus and they're just manual focusing it, setting on a zone. But, I mean, Sony's autofocus is so good and so reliable for that sort of thing. It's going to have fantastic hit rates. But with 61 megapixels on a full-frame camera, it may not be able to hit the the shutter, shutter speed. Your Z9 and your A1, and the Z9 doesn't even have a mechanical shutter. Those are, those are stacked sensors. And so you can get the significantly faster readout. You can get more autofocus frames. And you can shoot way more pictures per second. So I think that for this isn't going to be what you're looking for for sports. I think with that high resolution, it's going to maybe be landscape stuff, and it's definitely going to be portraiture, where you can get these really high resolution, you know, beautiful portrait images. Sure, like event photography, that sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah, definitely that. Yep, low light where you need you need the full frame, and Sony's ISO performance has just been. It feels like it's been leagues ahead of everybody else where. You, know, you can shoot at twenty five six hundred and still get a clean image. It's it's phenomenal. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see too. I feel like with the autofocus, we've hit a point where it's fast enough. That's not the problem that I have with autofocus is never that it's not fast enough. It's more like I can't get it to focus on what I need it to focus on. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I always want a manual focus in videos because I know what I want to focus on. Right. And I want to hit that and I don't want the camera hunting off of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really more that I want the autofocus to be smarter. I mean, if the autofocus was as good as me manual focusing in terms of hitting the right things, of course I would use it. That'd be great. So that's really the improvement I want to see. Well, I think that for something like this, I mean, there's the things that you use autofocus for and there's the things that you don't. And for me... The things that I'm going to use autofocus for are I'm setting up this camera and I'm not going to be able to attend it to manually focus it. Maybe I'm filming myself. Maybe I'm filling in my room 
or maybe I'm running gunning and I don't have you know time to like exactly get that focus where I need it to and I need something to be in focus I need it to be fast and I'm just gonna like hit the video button and pray that I get something good and for those times that's you know autofocus is is paramount and it needs to be you know paramount to being successful in what you're shooting and it needs to be accurate it needs to be fast but if any sort of thing where I'm operating the camera and I'm you know filming this thing and it's more planned out or I just I'm dedicated to just operating the camera I'm gonna want to manual focus it yeah yeah I I don't think that's gonna change anytime soon yeah so I just I guess like something like this something like this a7r5 if you're at an event and shooting photos and you're just getting quick video I mean you're probably just gonna want to autofocus so you can get get the video quickly you can know that it's gonna be it's gonna be right and you don't have to worry about it and then, like, maybe you're also using it for, like, YouTube or something. Sure. So using this $4,000 camera for, for, YouTube. for YouTube. Vlog on vacation with your $4,000 camera? I mean, sure, why not? <laughs> so what do you think about this thing overall? I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a really good camera for Sony's lineup. I mean, they, you know, it's time for them to upgrade and replace the, the A7R 4 And, you know, that's the camera for people who are always seeking for higher resolution and cleaner images. And 61 megapixels is a pretty good jump over the previous version. I mean, what was the the A7R4? It was like 40 something? Uh, Yeah, I want to say like 42, maybe something like that. Never mind. It was 60. It it was 60. Wow. All right. Here I'm over here like gushing about the megapixels and uh, it's basically the same number. Well, that's surprising. That is surprising changes everything for me was was it a bsi sensor no it's not even that so maybe it is a bsi sensor in the new sorry one. it is bsi you're, you're asking if the a7r4 was backside illuminated yes it has to be i mean everything's bsi nowadays yeah it was bsi well i don't know i guess the, the sensor aspect of that is not as uh not as impressive then it's slightly higher resolution but it's still 60 megapixels so like maybe people aren't necessarily going to upgrade over over their a7r4 for that maybe not i guess the the a7r4 definitely cannot do 8k no, it so cannot. that's that's a new thing. Um, we talked about the autofocus. So, I mean, there's still improvements. Yeah, but it's 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 a photo camera first. It's not yeah. necessarily a video camera. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody should buy that with the intention of doing video as a main thing. Yeah, no, that's it's it's definitely a second secondary camera to that. I was trying to see how many megapixels the EOS R5 is. And that's the one that I'm mixing this up with because the R5 is 45 megapixels. Okay. That's the one that's getting really snuck up on by APS-C cameras right now. Right. So if you're in for resolution and you don't want medium format, the A7R series is still your go-to camera. And I guess they're not necessarily pushing it up to 100 yet or 90, but the R5 is going to be a nice upgrade probably. Man, I was thinking about how big your files would be. 60 megapixel pictures yeah i mean yes those are those are pretty big files especially if you're shooting an uncompressed raw yeah geez but you can get some you can get some really really beautiful photos really high resolution yeah what's the uh the z9 resolution the z9 is 45.7 as well sony's kind of head head and shoulders above the competition already i mean they kind of are always are because they they own the sensors like i mean canon's canon makes the sensors but yeah i mean it seems like Canon's highest resolution sensor is still only 45 so megapixels. It, it always feels to me like Sony is always pushing technology. Mm-hmm. They always have the the feature bullet point before anybody else does. Yep. And that doesn't necessarily mean their cameras are better. But if you want a certain new feature, they're probably going to have it before anyone else does. Yeah, that's, that's basically right. 
I I'm looking to see uh, when what's going to push up the, that that resolution. And I think that this this A7R5 is going to do the pixel shift thing, where it can take you know huge resolution like 300 megapixels kind of thing, where it shifts the sensor and takes a bunch of images and stacks them together. That's pre- predominantly been like a smaller sensor camera thing. But oh, it looks okay. like this is probably going to be able to do that. And it's there's some old rumors from like two years ago that are like. Canon's going to release a R5S that's 90 megapixels. So, you know, we'll have to see who gets there first. And if Sony's releasing the A7R5 now, I mean, the next, you know, the A1 or the A9 is kind of their next series, right? That's that's the flagship thing. So maybe, maybe the A1 Mark II is going to be, you know, their 90 megapixel super camera. Yeah, that, that seems more likely that they'd go there with a higher... Uh, tier model first. Mm-hmm. So. And it seems like Sony, because of how quickly they release cameras quickly, I mean, I guess everyone's still on like a two year cycle, but it was like Sony's always pushing the envelope and it's taken them forever to backport certain features. Like the, I think the a seven S three still doesn't have breathing compensation. Yeah, on I it. think that's right. Mm-hmm. And so I would bet that this camera the new A7R5 is going to have like breathing compensation for lenses and that sort of stuff. I would imagine it, it has to. Yeah, they seem to like roll out the new features and the new menus, but they don't always backport it. Yeah, which is disappointing. But I mean, I, the one good thing about this is that if you're in the market for an A7 IV, it's good that this is coming out because the yeah. A7 IV has been out for a while. Or A7R4. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, A7R4. It, it's good that this is coming out because I mean, now you can get something that's new that has presumably their new menu system and some of these new features. So, I mean, it seems like a good upgrade. Wow. Has it really been A7R4 came out? Oh, it was 2019. Yeah. 2019. Nope. Yep. So it's been almost three years. Yeah. That's a long time. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to spend A7R4 money on a three-year-old camera. Yeah, definitely not. And it's, it looks like you can buy them for, you know, $2,500 now. Sure. And the new one's going to be $4,000. So sure. you have a nice, nice price drop and, I think what this means is maybe, you know, one year away from an A7 V, potentially. Well, it's exciting. Yeah. It's yep. it's cool to see all this new stuff coming out. It, it, you know, it feels like with all these different brands, there's always always new things. We were talking about how Fuji's released three cameras this year, and I don't remember when Canon released that R7 and stuff, but I mean, always new stuff. Yeah, no, if you remember APS season from just a month or so back. I mean, we, I, some would argue we're still in APS season until <laughs> December 21st or something it's, like that. It's always APS season. Oh, okay. That's not true. Because, uh, I mean, APS season ends when Sony releases their new, you know, APS-C cameras. I see. The, the leaves change and the A7000 mm-hmm. comes out. Yep, and then, and then we will enter winter in which no new APS-C cameras come out for like uh, two years. That is not a time I look forward to. Yeah, well, you know. Everything's going to go to full frame anyway, so that's the end-all be-all or whatever. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, all the new cameras came out, like, late 2019, early 2020. There was all the chip shortages and stuff, and there was COVID and, you know, all these delays and things. And it feels like everything that was kind of in the back burner that's been in work from a lot of these camera companies is finally releasing now. You know, two years after the fact kind of thing. And, you know, we're probably going to see, you know, even more going into next year. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting time to be into cameras. Yep, I'd say so. So we'll uh, probably, you know, see what happens with the A7R4, you know, on, geez, what date is it? October 26th is supposed to be the rumored announcement date. Yeah. So we'll be able to talk more definitively about that in the future and uh, probably have a good conversation on it. Yeah. 
That sounds good. Yep. Looking forward to seeing it. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to everybody next week. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.